Good morning, everybody. Today, this is David Jackson. We're with Training for Life Redeemed. It's the 11th of November, and on the 11th of November, all over the world, people are remembering the horrors of war. So I thought this morning we might focus on what the Bible has to say about these things. So let me take you to James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. Where do wars and conflicts among you come from? They come from your pleasures, which go into battle among your fellow members. You insist on having and don't have. You commit murder. You're jealous and unable to get. You go into battle and you make war. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and you don't get because your requests are bad in order to invest freely in your pleasures. Adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world is to be an enemy of God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world sets himself up as an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures speak for nothing against envy? He longs for the spirit whom he caused to dwell in us, but he gives even more grace. Therefore, he says, God goes to battle with the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit to God. Stand against the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Endure hardship, and mourn and scream. Turn your laughing into mourning, and joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And in Psalm 146, we read these words. Praise Yahweh, my whole being, praise Yahweh. I'll praise Yahweh with my life. I'll make music to my God as long as I live. Don't put your trust in nobles, in a son of Adam, with whom there's no salvation. His breath goes out and he returns to his ground. In that day his thoughts perish. Blessed is the one whose ally is the God of, his, of Jacob. His hope is in Yahweh his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in it, who remains reliable forever, who delivers judgment for the oppressed, giving food to the hungry, Yahweh free is the freer of prisoners. Yahweh is the opener of the eyes of the blind. Yahweh the raiser of those who have collapsed. Yahweh the lover of righteous ones. Yahweh protector of the foreigner, the fatherless, and he restores the widow, but he twists the way of the wicked. Yahweh reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, to generation after generation. Praise Yahweh. Remembrance Day ought to be a time to remember the horror of war, grieve for the lives lost and the suffering that continues, and a time to pray for peace. My mother grew up in the Great Depression. She was 17 when the war started and 24 when it ended. She spent those years surrounded by servicemen on leave and families living in fear for their loved ones. Her prayer was that her children would never have to put on a uniform. I have three generations of medals in my house. My father was a foster child. He had a generous heart when it came to the elderly. I grew up with old people spending their last days with us. The first of them was Dad's next-door neighbour when he was a child. Harry Wheat served at Gallipoli on the Somme and on the Somme. I have his three medals and his diary. My dad joined the militia in 1938 and spent the war on coastal defence in Western Australia. 
He was frustrated and ashamed of the fact that he never saw active service. I have the two medals he never wore. I joined what was called the Citizen Military Forces when I was at uni. The Vietnam War was on, and it ended the year I graduated, much to my mother's relief. I have one medal. My sons have never had to put on a uniform, and I pray my grandsons won't either. I thank God my mother's prayers were answered. Remembrance Day is a day to renew that prayer. So what does God have to say about all this? How are Christians to address the issue of war? Certainly we don't celebrate it. According to the Bible, war started in the Garden of Eden when Adam rebelled against God. Before sending him away into exile, God promised that he would bring humanity back to himself and put the line separating enemies between the woman's offspring and Satan. You can see that in Genesis 3.15. The woman's offspring, who would die and destroy Satan, is Jesus. Being enemies of God, we turned on each other. Cain's murder of his brother was the opening battle of all wars. Things only got worse from there. Jesus' half-brother, James, explains it this way in James 4. Where do the wars and conflicts among you come from? They come from your pleasures which go into battle among your fellow members. You insist on having and you don't have. You commit murder. You're jealous and unable to get. You go into battle and you make war. You don't have because you don't ask and you ask and you don't get because your requests are bad in order to invest freely in your pleasures. War is driven by people who take the place of God and claim for themselves what is his alone. It's about pride, greed and lust. All weapons and all the wars will not solve that problem because it comes from a heart that's alienated from God. The great promise of the Bible is that God would send us a saviour who would bring peace between us and God and peace among men. Jesus is that Prince of Peace. By paying for our sins with his sinless life, he purchased for us reconciliation with God and reconciliation with people of all nations, tribes and language groups. But that only happens when we face the horror of our own sin, confess it and accept Jesus' saving work for ourselves. The answer to war is God's justice, grace and mercy, delivered at the cost of the life of our sinless Saviour. Repentance starts with a change of heart and attitude. Pride, jealousy, greed and lust all have to go. These are replaced by love. To love is not the same as to enjoy. We say things like, I love my job, I love my car, I love chocolate. Love in those statements is about what delights me. Real love is selfless, not self-gratifying. Ultimately, it's blood, sweat, tears and a cross. Jesus said he who is forgiven little, loves little. You'll find that in Luke seven forty-seven. We who've come to Christ have been forgiven a great deal at great cost. The damage of war isn't limited to physical injury or damage to property or loss of wealth. We hear a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder. Since the 1990s, those who work with our veterans have begun to realise that there's another kind of damage that they call moral injury. War involves the destruction of God's image and God's world, and that doesn't come without its own inner trauma. To kill another person made in the image of God doesn't happen without a profound sense of guilt and shame, even when it's justified. Without the gospel, there's no answer to moral injury. 
There's an urgency for us to pray for those who experience such hurt and for those who bring the gospel to them and to others who will step into the horror. Pray for our military chaplains especially and for all believers who serve. Pray that they'll be faithful in presenting the truth of the gospel that alone will set people free. As James goes on to say, Or do you think that the scriptures speak for nothing against envy? He longs for the spirit whom he caused to dwell in us, but he gives even more grace. Therefore, he says, God goes to battle with the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit to God. Stand against the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Endure hardship, mourn and scream. Turn your laughing to mourning and joy, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's in James 4, 5 to 10. It was once our custom to declare national days of prayer in face of the great challenges of war and tragedy. Queen Victoria even called a day of national repentance when British soldiers, by an act of disrespect, set off the Indian mutiny in 1857. In quest for peace, self-righteousness has no place. James warns us, Don't you know that friendship with the world is to be an enemy of God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world sets himself up as an enemy of God. That's James 4.4. 4. The Christian's attitude to the nations where we live is not one of our nation versus the rest. We're not to worship the state gods or blindly accept the state's values, nor are we to put our trust in men. As the psalmist sings, don't put your trust in nobles in a son of Adam with whom there is no salvation. Psalm 146 verse 3. Surely we've learned that the governments of men are not always true and right nor are the promises of allies reliable. Christians are citizens of the kingdom of God first. As such, we do not pit one nation against another. Rather, we view the nations with love. The presence of the kingdom of God in any nation is a force for peace and blessing. As Jeremiah put it, Seek the peace of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to Yahweh on its behalf, for in its peace you will have peace. Jeremiah 29.7 God has sent his people into every nation, tribe and language to bring the regime of God to bear. On both sides of war, God's forever family are there. This was at the forefront of the mind of J. Gresham Machen in 1917. He was the professor of New Testament at Princeton Seminary in the United States and a great defender of the faith. His family were German migrants and they were close friends of the American president, Woodrow Wilson. With family and friends on both sides, Machen couldn't bring himself to fight. Instead, he joined the YMCA, and he went to the front to minister to the needs of the troops. The YMCA in those days was a gospel mission, and highly respected by the people they served. When he returned, he noted a change in the way people spoke about salvation. He also noted that the church had failed to deliver the gospel of Christ and had turned to preaching the values of the state. It didn't surprise him that troops returning from the front found such preaching hollow. The Victory Medal for World War I bears the inscription, The Great War for Civilization. Veterans who wore that medal knew that there was nothing civilised about what it commemorated. 
This wasn't the war that ended all wars, horrifying as it was. Machen took up this issue in a sermon that he preached to the students at Princeton Seminary. At the time, the peace conference at Versailles was drawing to a close. He told his students, If the church has failed, it's at least perfectly clear why she's failed. She's failed because men have been unwilling to receive and the church has been unwilling to preach the gospel of Christ crucified. Men have trusted for their own salvation and for the hope of the world in the merit of their own self-sacrifice rather than the one act of sacrifice which was accomplished some 1900 years ago by Jesus Christ. People used to say there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. They say so no longer. On the contrary, any man, if only he goes bravely over the top, is now regarded as plenty good enough to pay the price of sin. Our hopes for peace lie not in the sacrifice of lives lost on the battlefield, no matter how just the cause or how brave and selfless the act. Honour is due to all who would lay down their lives for others, but there's only one Saviour, and to access his salvation, we must come in repentance and faith. Peace starts at the foot of the cross. In the midst of our grief on this day, we do well to remind ourselves of the urgency of this good news. Thank you for listening.